Hello and welcome to Policy Pathways, a new podcast focusing on the policy challenges of food, land and water systems transformation. This project is brought to you by the CGIAR's National Policies and Strategies Initiative and is facilitated by the International Water Management Institute, IMI. My name is Chavi Sachdev. I'm a radio journalist from Mumbai, India. And I'm Raisa Okoy, a journalist based in Dakar, Senegal. We are both very excited to be co-hosting this new podcast series on this important and challenging topic, the policy challenges of food, land and water systems transformation. In this preview episode, we are asking the basic questions. What do we mean by policy pathways and why you should tune in? Today, we're speaking to Dr. Alan Nichol, Principal Researcher at IMI, co-lead of the National Policies and Strategies Initiative and our podcast series creator. We are also pleased to welcome Dr. Augusto Castro-Nunez, Senior Researcher and Program Lead at Alliance of Biodiversity and the International Center for Tropical Agriculture, who is also lead author on Colombia's NPS Initiative Policy Coherence Report. Welcome to you both. Alan, if I can start with you. We're having this conversation because as co-lead, you were part of the original design team of the initiative and helped shape the focus on policy coherence. Can you tell us a bit more about the project? What was it set up to achieve? Yeah, thank you, Xavi. It's great to be here. I think, uh, you know, the essence of the National Policies and Strategies Initiative is really supporting policy processes, because we know that development is is a critical process in which policy plays a, a substantial part. And that means all the way from policy design through implementation to monitoring and understanding the impact of different policies at a local level. So the idea behind the National Policies and Strategies Initiative, which is one of 30 plus initiatives under the CGIR, is really to support policymakers in a number of different countries and to work closely with them. It's not so much taking research and evidence and saying, hey, you know, listen to us or learn from us. It's actually working very closely with policymakers around a set of policy challenges related to food, land and water systems. Because we know that the, the future needs, the future food security of many parts of the world is dependent on the interlinkages between these different but related systems and, of course, their related policy environments. So what we're trying to do is really work very closely with governments, and we're working in six countries and different regions of the world, to develop more sustainable policy, more substantially integrated, more coherent policy, and also to develop ways of understanding policy coherence and working alongside practitioners, people who implement policy, to understand sometimes why is it a good policy idea at the top doesn't get implemented so effectively at the bottom, at the grassroots level. So, Alan, you've commissioned six policy coherence country reports. How does that work? How are these reports commissioned and how are the country stakeholders involved? Do they commission the reports from NPS? So we start with looking at the policy landscape because, you know, six countries uh, Nigeria, India, Colombia, Kenya, Laos, and Egypt are very different environments, very different policy environments. The construction of policy, the way policies have emerged over time, the genesis story, if you like, of policies varies considerably. Consider the difference between Nigeria, for example, and Laos, both in size of country and population, but also in the structure of government, one being a very federal uh, constituted system and the other one being a very centralized government. Um, a sort of command-led economy, if you like. So very different environments. So the starting point for us is to understand 
what are those environments in relation to policy pathways, you know, the development of policy and the implementation of policy across food, land and water systems? And how, how does the landscape matter? You know, so why is the context in Colombia so important compared to the context in Kenya in terms of understanding this notion of coherence? I just want to flag one thing about coherence is it's actually an SDG goal, 17.14, to build greater policy coherence. So it, it's very much part of the global sustainable development agenda to understand that the policy coherence is essential to the achievement of many of the SDG indicators. Because if you have in, incoherent policies in these different countries, um, then you can be sort of working against yourself as a government or as a, as a society to to implement significant change in, in poverty reduction or in, in food security. So we're looking at these policy landscape reports to give us an overview, to provide context, and above all, to help us identify specific areas where we might want to engage further. And that's what we're doing as we launch these reports, taking forward specific policy engagement processes. So, Alan, you just mentioned countries like Colombia and Kenya. Can you tell us why these six specific countries did you why did you choose those six specific countries, please? Yeah, good question, Raisa. In fact, uh, there are perhaps three reasons. Firstly, the CGIR works across uh, you know, 60 plus countries globally, um, and we work at different levels in those countries. And the six countries we chose were, were those where we have established policy relationships. We have an established track record of work. Uh, we have a, um, a set of partners that we can work closely with in government, non-government, et cetera, civil society, for example, and the private sector. So that's one reason, our prior engagement, if you like, we can hit the ground running. The second reason is really around the, um, the importance of having a piece of work in each of our six regions. So the CGIR works across six global regions, and each of these countries is placed in one of those regions. To a greater or lesser extent, we can build some sort of comparative analysis across the work. Given, though, you know, the proviso that each of these countries is contextually very specific, it still enables us to look at the contrast, the differences, the challenges of policy in different environments. Uh, I mentioned earlier, you know, a federal system versus a more centralized system or a very large country uh, population wise like Egypt or a smaller country like Kenya, for example. So, I mean, the third reason is to, uh, you know, to enable um let's say, a spectrum of, of, of experience. And we'll, we'll hear from Augusto, I'm sure, about how important you know, policy understandings are in Colombia in, in relation to particular sector areas. How, for example, in Egypt, is, is it uh, critical to look at water and, and land issues because there's so much competition for scarce resources versus uh, a country like Laos where there's, there's less competition, but there are other issues. You know, there's a growing interconnection there of the economy with, with a wider uh, environment. So perhaps the third reason is to do with the kind of external issues around those countries. You know, the, 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 the ways in which, so Laos is next to China, for example, Egypt is next to the European Union, Colombia is part of Mercosur. These, these sort of regional dyna dynamics are very different too. And that's why it's so important to, to examine different regional experiences. That's really interesting. Uh, now, Augusto, um, Alan was just talking about you. You are authoring the NPS report from Colombia. Colombia is the only South American country that is represented in this study. How representative are the challenges facing Colombia in relation to South America as a whole? I would say that Colombia is not only representative of South America, but as well of many regions and many countries around the world. For instance, Colombia is emerging from conflict. 
just five years ago or so, uh, has signed a peace agreement with FARC, a guerrilla group. And most of the countries in the NPS, but as well in Africa, Asia, are experiencing or emerging from different types of conflict. So that makes Colombia relevant, in my opinion, for this uh, comparison and global analysis. Also, land is at the center of conflict in Colombia, but elsewhere. Uh, and around land, water and food always appears. So there, there are good reasons why Colombia uh, should have been selected for this work, according to you. Can you confirm that? There is good reasons for selecting Colombia, of course. We can select other countries as well as in South America, but convenience is also important. No? We have a red of partners here in Colombia uh, and good uh, relationships with countries around. Uh, and Colombia is also super active in international conventions around food, water, biodiversity, land. Um, so it's, 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 a, it's a great player and influencing the policy around South America and probably also in Central America. Yeah, no, I think that's an excellent uh, point, uh, Augusto. And I want to pick up on that, um, if I may, right? So it's about this sort of, uh, you know, political change. Um, all of the countries we're looking at uh, to a greater or lesser extent, go through some substantial political change uh, or have recently. And that is significant because uh, it tells us one thing about policy and policy coherence, and that is that policy is always in flux, right? So rarely is a policy environment sort of static. And, and that's important because, you know, static may not be good. I mean, policy flux also has problems, but static may, may mean uh, lack of responsiveness to change. Whereas those policy environments that are in flux may be responding more effectively to external influences. And, and one of the areas that NPS is interested in supporting is policy environments that are affected by conflict, not necessarily in that country, but external conflicts. And one example I can give you is Ukraine and the impact on food prices, fertilizer prices of the, the war in Ukraine and how you know, NPS has examined that from different perspectives in relation to certain countries so that we, we understand the external impacts of that conflict on, on critical policy areas. And we work closely with, with uh, policymakers in those areas. I mean, the point, the big point being that everything is in flux. Political systems are changing. Elections change. Governments change. All sorts of factors change. And the policy environments reflect those changes. So NPS is very much aware of those changes and trying to provide sort of useful inputs into policy processes that are responding to those impacts. So, you know, you talked about the interconnectedness of all these countries. Um, Augusto, do you anticipate that the findings from the Colombia papers will reflect the findings of your colleagues working in other countries on this project? I would say yes, for sure. We are identifying since that other colleagues in, in, in other regions are identifying as well. Coherence would also depend on how we understand coherence and the background of people leading the research. For instance, I am not a political scientist. So for me, coherence could be geographical coherence. I am a geographer. Uh, so that would probably influence the findings of my report. Why probably the guy have a different background, probably will give more emphasis on food security or lack of water. While if someone is from a nutrition perspective, probably will give more priority to the nutrition part of the study. What I'm trying to say is that not only the geographies, but the backgrounds of the researchers leading the research will influence what we find uh, and how this makes a very rich case uh, for informing 
discussions around the world. That's really interesting. So you could actually be presenting a different angle and lens to your other colleagues. Alan, what do you think of that? Their takeaways may differ from what your intention is. Do you think there's a lot that other countries can learn from each other? Exactly. And I'm glad you, you mentioned that learning point, uh, Chavi, because in fact, uh, what we call a community of policy practice is one of the outcomes that we're trying to achieve under NPS. And that means uh, a national level one. So perhaps bringing together sector stakeholders across food, land and water sectors in Kenya, for example, looking at the issues that can be built more coherently together, the, the policy angles that maybe are, are slightly uh, at odds, you know, so working through that with a, a cohort of policymakers. But also across countries, considering, for example, Colombia and its approach to policy and maybe the innovations that are being brought to policy processes in Colombia as something to be shared with, uh, with India or with Egypt, you know. So we're trying to create a community of policy practice that also goes beyond countries and that over time can enable the sharing of, of what we sometimes call policy entrepreneurship or policy innovations across countries. And, and one of those areas, of course, slowly or perhaps not that slowly emerging is the role of AI, artificial intelligence, in policymaking and policy processes. So there are lots of ways in which we can, we can kind of thread together these six countries and enable some really useful horizontal learning. And that's definitely an objective of what we're trying to do here. That's so interesting. Can't wait to hear about the AI. Um, Alan, we understand that the project is about to deliver the first of its several reports at the end of January 2024. Is the timing of this launch significant? Yes, I think so. A um, couple of thoughts on that. I mean, India is the, uh, the sort of the first launch of, of these country reports, and we're really excited about that. There are two reasons. One is that, you know, it's such a significant policy environment. India's policy environment probably, you know, in many ways affects the rest of the world. You know, what happens in agriculture and food and land in India is, is of enormous uh, regional and global significance. So we're very excited about the report. It's being launched on the 23rd of uh, this month, January. We're also excited because we've really uh, constructed a very strong relationship with a think tank, CEW. We're also very closely aligned with the uh, Nityayog institution, which is a, a government institution looking at planning environments, particularly in relation to these kind of policy areas. And, and they indeed have written a forward to this report. So they're very much part of that process. And I think it goes back to an earlier question, you know, in terms of how we engage all these reports were commissioned. We didn't get a sort of external commission as such for them, but we made sure that when we began the process of, of research that we engage closely with, with stakeholders, governmental, think tank, and, and otherwise civil society as well. So it's, it's really important that in India, this, this launch, again, is, is going to be documented in this series but also that we, we build on the launch and that that kind of process of working closely with Nityayog and others can form part of a longer term, I mentioned community of policy practice, but a longer term process of, of working closely with policymakers. And one example in India is we're looking in detail now at the actual implementation of certain policies on the basis of that policy coherence landscape mapping. And that means working at a, a more local level in different states in India and trying to understand why is it that policy is difficult to implement sometimes and how can that be improved? So Alan, we're just four months away from the World Water Forum uh, that is going to happen on uh, May this year. 
What impact do you expect these reports may have in the in the World Water Forum? That's uh, a good question. We have, uh, well, we had last year the UN uh, World Water Conference, the second only since uh, 1977 in New York. And this World Water Forum will amplify some of the messages that came out of the UN conference, including the need for more collective action on, on the global water crisis, you know, partly driven by demand, partly driven by the, the climate crisis. So the World Water Forum will be a critical event. It's going to be in Bali in May, and it will be a very important opportunity for us to bring this debate on policy coherence to a global constituency on water that often talks about the need to think outside the water box. In other words, don't think about water as a sectoral issue, but think about water as part of a range of areas, food, land, water, health, climate resilience, lots of things that demand a kind of policy coherent approach. So what we hope to do at this meeting is to engage either formally or through a side event and share our experience across these, these different country reports in relation to the big challenges being addressed at the, the 10th World Water Forum. The focus, just to say quickly, all of the forum is very much on the political agenda and driving politics to, to make change happen. So uh, I would argue that that makes the connection to policy coherence even stronger. We very much hope to be there. And also, later in the year, at the UN Summit of the Future, which is taking place in September. And the significance of that event will partly be the reflection back on, on the SDGs and the progress towards those SDGs. But also, the big theme of that event is multilateralism. And what's important there is that, you know, OECD and others have for several years now been pushing a, a very strong focus on, on a sort of multilateral policy coherence agenda, if you like. So beyond the national level, thinking more internationally about policy coherence. And I think that would be, again, another event where we can take the research that we've done, these reports and their messages to a higher level policy forum and examine the implications at that level. So very much looking forward to 2024 and, uh, and the launch of these reports. So at these events, like the World Water Forum and the UN Summit of the Future, surely there are other organizations and stakeholders pushing to be heard. How challenging, Augusto, is it for a single country to raise these sort of issues that the reports will emphasize on this global policy stage? UN conventions can be a good place for countries to present the results or discuss the results of the findings of these reports. I used to be a negotiator. I am a former negotiator for Peru in UN C Convention, United Nations Convention on Climate Change. So most of the countries' positions were coordinated with other countries experiencing similar uh, uh, or having similar national circumstances. So these reports can allow countries to identify the similarities of their national circumstances. This regarding of the region they are based, because usually countries organize or coordinate positions based on we are South America, we are Central America, or we are more on the right or in the left side. But we identify it, or we are identifying that disregarding the region, countries also have similarities. So bringing all this research together, all these reports together can help us inform global level discussions on topics related to land, water, food, and not specifically on forums related to these specific topics or entry points, but beyond that, biodiversity or climate change or restoration. For instance, we are working now with WWF in a report for understanding how policies related to food, water, and land have a food systems perspective 
or not. That will help WWS to develop their strategy for Colombia, and they are trying to inform global level strategies development. But it also will help us to understand if, in fact, we are using a full systems perspective or we are only mentioning a perspective that is not really incorporated in the policy. For instance, we are saying that we want to reduce emissions from, from the food systems. But what we are trying to do at this point is to reduce emissions from the land system. We've been doing that for a while, but we are saying that we are using a new approach, which is food systems. What would mean to introduce a food systems perspective in efforts to reduce emissions from, for instance, deforestation? That would mean that we will be able to incorporate nutrition and food security concerns into efforts for reducing emissions from the land sector. That's completely new. And that kind of research, that kind of report, that kind of interaction with different stakeholders, with different countries, we allow us to identify these key entry points or key pieces of uh, missing parts. So, Augusto, it sounds like combining work with research in other countries will help amplify what certain countries are trying to achieve or put forward. Rice and I are both very much looking forward to leading these discussions over the coming weeks. And of course, like any podcast, we're keen to find a broad audience. Briefly, then, Alan. Who do you hope will be listening to these conversations? Well, apart from everyone, uh, Chavi, we do have a couple of audiences in mind. One, of, obviously, is the policy community in the countries we're working in and the regions where these countries are located. Uh, we'd like um, policymakers to listen because we think, well, not so much they'll learn something, but they'll, they'll see or understand there's a conversation ongoing about policy coherence that we would want them to be part of. And, and at some point, we would like to have some kind of interactive platform that will enable people to, to share their thoughts on the themes of these podcasts. That's one audience. So the policy community, but uh, also policy researchers, those working on, on policy coherence, we'd be very happy, very happy indeed for those to form part of our audience as well. And again, to interact, to possibly engage with, become part of future podcasts. We're very excited to build a kind of a knowledge community around policy coherence research because it's important, particularly, and I have to say this, particularly for, for countries and institutions of research in those countries to share their work on policy coherence. And of course, you know, work in other languages is important. So beyond the boundaries of English, we'd look into, hopefully look into other language communities and their research as well on, on policy coherence. And then finally, I think a public audience Perhaps people scratch their heads in some places, some countries at some time thinking, why is that policy sitting alongside that policy? And one of the, the areas that I think is very topical is migration. Other research I've been doing is, is examining migration policy alongside rural development policy in a number of countries. And one of the issues that comes up time and again is the lack of coherence between migration policy, often seen as kind of command and control policy alongside policy on rural development, which is about investment and about people and employment and markets. So the two areas, migration and rural development, are rarely kind of conjoined, if you like, and, and supported. There's rarely coherence between those policy areas. And yet the two are so closely related, so interlinked. If we can trigger debate and thinking around the, the, the need for greater policy coherence and help a public out there understand some of these, these challenges and, and even reflect on their situation, I think that would be very helpful, very useful. Thank you, Alan, for this clarification. That's all we have time for today. And already we have starting to have an interesting conversation about how food 
land and water systems can come together and how policy is shaped to address these issues. Indeed. To find out more, please subscribe to the Policy Pathways podcast. The first podcast in the series will be looking at my home country, India, and that will be arriving on your feeds in mid-February. It just remains for us to thank Dr. Alan Nickel and Dr. Augusto Castro for their time today. I'm Chavi Sachdev. And I'm Raisa Okoy. Studio production for Policy Pathways was by Wild Dog. Our producer was Luisa Chandler-Edmond for the International Water Management Institute. And our program editor was Andrew Johnstone. Thank you all for listening and goodbye.